I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm your host, Gareth Hanna, and with me are our regular rugby reporting duo, Jonathan Bradley. Hello. Hi, how are you? And Adam McKendrick. Hey, guys. This week we'll have some more praise for Ulster players after success against Scarlets. About that. Looking ahead, it's life without Hendo as he's ruled out for up to 12 weeks, all just in time for the Christmas Interpros. Those begin with Friday's home game against Monster, and we'll also have a little look at all the Ulster players who are out of contract next summer. As always, we'll punctuate the episode with your listener questions while the club roundup provides the full stop. First of all, our opening paragraph, Ulster 30, Scarlet's 15. Two good performances back-to-back. Big thing was they yeah they backed it up and that was the main thing we've seen so many times from Ulster putting in a big performance and everyone thinking this is great and then it turns out to be a false dawn they can't keep it going so I think that the biggest positive was yeah they they didn't just put in a great performance in Clenethley and come out uh, on Friday night and think to themselves we've got this they put in a big performance they were actually really good for the first half even though they only went in uh, what was it seven points ahead uh, and then they they ended up pulling away in the second half And but for Gareth Davies intercept try it would have been a lot more comfortable as well so um, sorry Gareth Davies intercepted, Jonathan Davies scored um, but no, the big thing, Ulster backed it up you saw the big name players getting those big performances again, Ian Henderson was massive for the second week in a row, Rory Best leading from the front, Billy Burns had his best game in an Ulster jersey, I said that last week but I think he even stepped it up a bit more uh, last week as well and I think that's key for Ulster because you know we, we've talked about how he hasn't quite lived up to the expectations so far and what, one of the things I do want to say on that is I think he's been sort of unfortunate that Will Addison has had such a great start to the season because the two are almost linked in that they're both Irish qualified players who have come in saying almost the same thing you know I, I want to come into Ulster and I want to play for Ireland but I want to play well for Ulster first and the fact that Addison has gotten off to such a great start Burns has almost fallen by the wayside yeah. because he hasn't lit up the, the stage quite as much but I thought he was excellent on Friday night. Just the distribution with his kicking. I thought his passing was even better. You saw that with a great cutout pass to Spate on the wing and the build-up to Stockdale's try. I just thought it was a much more composed and much more... Uh, it was the performance that I think Ulster were waiting for him to produce. And he just brought it out whenever mm-hmm. he really needed it. If we talk about sort of encouraging points, of which there have been plenty over the last couple of weeks... The reaction to that Jonathan Davies try is probably the the headline of those, isn't it? Yeah, that was a huge thing for me because when Ulster scored their first try, they had, up to that point um, in the game, it was a really prolonged period of pressure. And just watching the live stats as the game was going along, they had 72% territory up to that point. They had really dominated... Um, possession in a way that we hadn't seen because the possession stats throughout the last couple of games have been a lot lower mm-hmm. but on the scoreboard they hadn't really got the reward and then you see the Jonathan Davis try um, it's a bit of a freak, freakish score in a way with the ball coming back the way it did but just it was essentially it felt like a 14 point swing because it felt like Ulster were about to take a 14 point lead and then all of a sudden the game was tied and that mm-hmm. shift in momentum could have been huge not just in the game 
but huge in the way the pool finishes as well and that that was a really big thing and to respond the way that they did so quickly from that and Adam spoke about Billy Burns there but Billy Burns I thought that was a perfect example of the type of game that he played the way that he was able to shift the ball out wide to spate with a good pass after a big carry from Louis Ludic and then when the ball came back to him again from a Rory Best pass um, to put the grubber through for Stockdale to gather and Stockdale does obviously a heck of a lot um, to finish that off in, in the way that he does it's almost like we expect that from him now yeah. you know having produced a little bit of magic in each of the European games really yeah you're sort of watching that try and just thinking yeah it was decent and if, yeah. any, if it was anybody else you'd be like wow it, it was the same <laughs> as one the week before you know the one the week before you come away praising Will Addison it's a great finish from Stockdale but it's Addison that you praise this one you're watching what Billy Burns is doing to pull the defence around but again it requires a great finish from Stockdale to finish it, finish it off but that's what uh, that's what you get from him now and I think the level of variety that Billy Burns brought to proceedings was the main sort of takeaway from me, from me for it because you know Adams talked about him very well but um sometimes I think because he played so much rugby for Gloucester that you can almost lose sight of the fact that he is 24 you know he'll mm-hmm. finish this season 20 as a 24 year old Johnny McPhillips will finish this season as a 22 year old Joey Carberry will finish this season as a 23-year-old. Um, even if you want to compare to Paddy Jackson, Paddy Jackson will finish this season as a 26-year-old. So with the type of players, I think we're maybe comparing them to players of a different profile. Like We would never... We think of him as so much more experienced than Johnny Phillips, but he's only really two years older. So he is a player, and he said it himself, that he's growing and he's trying to... Um, expand his game and we probably saw that 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 was really sort of the first game for me where he mixed things up well and had every part of his game working both with the boot and his passing mm. I think what we saw is they had more ball you know yeah. that, that was the thing they he had a lot more opportunity to do a lot more different stuff because whereas in Clinethley where Ulster had to be very very clinical every time they got the ball to come away with the five points because they were starved of it for so long. This time, Ulster were playing quite a lot. They were going at the backs quite a lot. And again, they were still clinical in the red zone whenever it came down to it. So I think that's where that variety was able to come from. It was the fact that he had more opportunities to do so. And I think that also comes down to the pack who... Like let's talk about the pack for a second. That what a change there has been in this forward pack since the start of the season. Because you talk about a scrum that is now attacking other scrums as opposed to just trying to get the ball back. You've got a a back row who are really good at the breakdown between Murphy Kutsia and one of Timoney or Reedy. They took they took on a scarlet side that has been renowned for breakdown work in the past. With the back row they had out on Friday night, that's maybe not quite so much a feather in their cap as it would have been as if, say, it was Byrne, Barkley and James Davies. But at the same time, the Scarlet side is known for being so good at the breakdown, Mm -hmm. and you still have to negate that. And Ulster were far and away better on the floor than their opponents were. I, I just think it was a game where Ulster, they did their homework, and I think it probably stemmed a lot from the week before because I don't think the Scarlets did a great deal differently than 
what they did the week before. But Ulster just knew exactly what to do in that game, and they they did it to perfection, in my opinion. Especially that tactic of kicking the ball high. It's an ugly tactic, and I don't like it. But it was so effective mm. because the Scarlets back three just did not know how to play the high ball uh, on on Friday night. You talk about the pack. Um, how big? We'll, we'll talk about the impact of his injury uh, a little later on or his surgery. But how big a, a part has Ian Henderson provided in that improvement? Uh, I think I, like I wrote about the pack in general for Monday's paper, and I thought that what Rory Best spoke about after the or the candor that Rory Best spoke with after the game was fascinating when he talked about um essentially how uncomfortable he felt at the start of the season compared to coming back in from November and that's obviously a testament to the work that Dan McFarland's done because he's come in as a a noted forward technician from his career. But when you talk about Henderson, for me he was the best player on the pitch two weeks in a row in the Scarlet. So I thought he was I thought he was fu- not far and away, far and away is maybe too strong a word given they might have good performances, but I thought he was noticeably the best player on the pitch two weeks in a row. And you can see that the difference that he makes in when he's in there, because especially in mall defence, I think maybe even more than mall attack, um, he just makes such a huge difference there. And, you know, it felt like at the start of the season when he wasn't there that Ulster had become a soft touch in the mall and Rory Best pretty much said that himself that it felt like they were going to concede from every mall mm-hmm. and you don't think that anymore and you look at what they're able to do with their own mall as well really since Best came in back in into that um, came off the bench in that Cardiff game the transformation there but yeah as as they all have in that pack I think Henderson's been huge the last two weeks like even Sean Reedy I thought Sean Reedy was brilliant on Friday night and he's maybe someone that we talk about probably the least out of that pack, but I thought he was really, really good on Friday as well. Just just on Henderson, that's what Ulster have to produce someone like that, though, to take his place during international windows. I'm not saying like for like, but they need someone to step up and be that sort of Henderson-style player whenever Henderson's away. Well, that's, that's an import, because yes. you're not going to get... Um, a Lions quality forward which is what Henderson is and I think he's really kicked his game on um, probably from that England game just before the Lions tour so the six na- the last game of the Six Nations in 2017 onwards into that Lions tour coming back and then what we've seen this season from him as well when he's playing for Ulster I think he's he just keeps going up a level and he does it quite quietly because he's quite People do talk about his leadership now an awful lot more than they used to, but he's still quite a sort of understated guy, and um, he gives away quite an awful lot of his character in interviews and stuff. You know, he talks about how much he likes to sleep and things like that. <laughs> and you know, there's that story about what did you do when you find out you were going on a lion's start? It's like, oh, well, I went out to cut the grass, and it's just you know, he is that little bit, I suppose, relaxed as a as a human being. He doesn't really get caught up in the hype of things I guess but on the pitch we're seeing more and more sustained performances from him so he's not putting in big moments that maybe you would have seen in the past in favour of big performances now you're getting big performances from him you mentioned earlier Jonathan that Rory had plenty to say on the pack um, and he had sort of said they'd have a little discussion about things maybe and um, 
there was sort of more of a hunger, more of an idea as to what they were doing wrong and what they had to do right. Do you think there's a hope then that is that it is the system that has improved rather than Henderson that has improved the pack? So things might not maybe drop away as much as you might think without Henderson? Like is that I think, being optimistic? I think Bess and Henderson obviously makes such a big difference whenever they come back in and you can see that. But something that I think probably needs to be addressed as well is the impact that Eric O'Sullivan's made, having not had a professional rugby career before this year. Um, the impact that Marty Moore's made and I rejuvenated Kieran Treadwell over the last sort of month and Marcel Garcia, we obviously spoke at length about um, last week. But that's to me, whenever you have everyone available now and whenever you have that pack, that looks to me like a Champions Cup quality pack um, from one to eight. And that's something that Ulster haven't had in four years. So you hope that whenever... Look, you're always going to miss Henderson and Best. They're the only two players in the Ulster team that have experience of the Lions, the very top echelon of of rugby in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. So you're going to miss them when they're not there. You're going to miss the... You're going to miss their leadership when they're not there. But... The encouraging thing from an Ulster perspective, when you're locked, took, if I could speak, when you're looking at what you're going to miss without Henderson, is the fact that the rest of the pack, you can say that he's dragged them up, but the rest of them have come with him the last yeah. couple of weeks, and you don't want to downplay it, but in the time that he's going to be out, Henderson may well have only played three games, yeah, for Ulster because of his Ireland commitments, but. Just in, to put in that performance in general with an injury that he sustained in the first Scarlet's game, to be as good as he was um, with the injury and injury yeah. that required surgery as well was was some feat. <laughs> yeah. To to just add to that slightly, Johnny said that you know that Henderson has brought these guys up and they've come up with them. It'll be interesting to see now who sort of drives the standards because see it's easy to see that Rory Best will drive the standards because he is Rory Best. He, he has such a standing within the Ulster team. But it'll be interesting to see who who sort of drives it whenever those two are away, because it, it's no as Johnny said, it's no secret that we've seen guys raise their game whenever Henderson and Best are there. And as I've said already, you know, you, you've got to keep that level there. You can't, you can't let it drop just because these guys go away. Someone has to drive the standards in that pack. And whether that is a coach, whether that's a player, you prefer it to be someone on the pitch so that there's someone, you know, getting guys up and saying, come on, we got to go. But, you know, that that's, that is the big thing now. Mm-hmm. You've got to have someone driving those standards when those two are away. Because not- we did see these big results and performances last year. To think those two against Scarlets were better than anything we saw last season. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Um, if you're talking about levels of performance in one-off games and I don't think Ulster have produced as surprisingly out of context a performance as that first Scarlet's game since beating Glasgow um, away you know and even then I think it was still I think that Scarlet's performance was still better Um, really when you're looking at it I think that you could make an argument about the Toulouse games under Les Kiss, but and I know Scarlets 
weren't the Scarlets that we've seen the last two years mm-hmm. this season. But Toulouse seems so disinterested that, that, that year yeah. that that has to act as a sort of mitigating factor. So for what we've seen the last two weeks, and we've spoken about the problems of you know a year-long context in a weekly podcast before, but in terms of what you've seen the last two weeks, you're really going back to couple of seasons to see mm-hmm. performances of that standard put back to back one thing for me is you can see the progression that they're making it's not like last year where Ulster were sort of pottering about and then all of a sudden got those two wins over Harlequins you, you could see the, the pack were improving you know you saw that against Cardiff where the mall went so well and the scrum sort of solidified and then it went into the first Scarlet's game where the pack were brilliant and the scrum was brilliant and then they kept that going into last week's game. There, there has been the progression as opposed to this is just a one-off performance that they've pulled out in Europe and that's the biggest thing because in a year where we've talked about progression so much and where the coaches have said week on week, you know, as long as we see progression, we know we're on the right track. Well, we've seen yeah. the progression. They're on the right track. Now... I feel like I'm a broken record here, but it's all about seeing the progression go that one step further and keep continuing. Because I think it is important to sort of highlight the fact that the results from this season to last season up to this point are actually remarkably similar. Mm. Um, there was obvious um, flaws in what was happening last season in results that went their way, such as Kings Away, which was really... I don't know whether you would call it the beginning of the end of Les Kiss or whether it was... It certainly felt like the end, <laughs> Or whether it was the end of the end because it certainly felt like... Okay, well, it felt like both. <laughs> you know, a decision was made on the viability of the continuation of that coaching team with the South Africa trip as mm. much as the things that followed it. And then the Harlequins back-to-backs were almost like a blip in that because mm-hmm. then the interpros following them were so bad. You yeah. know, you had the result in Galway where they just played off the park. You had the monster game here that they won, but only after Sam Arnold had a red card and they were 17-0 down. Yeah. And then the usual happened in the RDS. But if, if you take that Scarlet's defeat out of it um, and you take the... Interpros out of it then Ulster have been pretty bang on so far this season while also acknowledging the role that John Cooney's kicks have made and yeah, I suppose yeah. a few of those <laughs> penalties that you got laid on well again another difference is the players you know you're, you're not looking at Ulster going through with these journeyman squad fillers you've got young guys pushing through and making an impact so Instead of someone like Rodney Ayew at Tighthead, you've got the young, exciting Tom O'Toole pushing through, who looks like someone for the future. On the wing, you've got Angus Kernan and Robert Balakoon coming through. You've got Mike Lowry pushing through as a very exciting young back. You Michael Lowry, who opened our podcast today for the first time, who we haven't mentioned. Oh, yes. Friend of the podcast, now on the podcast. Friend, friend of the podcast, Mike Lowry. Um, <laughs> is that his official nickname? <laughs> yeah, it is now. So but that's we're, we're, we've got friend of the podcast, we've got Dave support line Shanahan. <laughs> Adam didn't use Angus Kernan's AK-47 nickname there. But, Sorry, uh, it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> 
by the end of the season, I'm gonna forget all these. By the games. end of the season, we're gonna have one for everybody. Yeah. Um, but we'll no, just no. stop using real <laughs> names. So anybody hasn't listened to podcast long term, just no, you're we'll, out. We'll have to have like a not a pronunciation guide, a nickname guide yeah. that comes out before every podcast. <laughs> but no, just the the player profile. You know, the squad has gotten younger. There's a lot more positivity over the future as opposed to there was in previous years you know when it, even though you know they got those good wins over the king or over harlequins sorry that, that win over the kings was not good but the two wins over harlequins you know that there was still the feeling of these are just two good performances now there's a feeling of those are two great wins and look at the young guys who are playing a part in that and I think that's what's fueling a really feel-good factor the, the problem moment. is the context of that first Scarlet's game or the, I suppose the second Scarlet's game in the season you know that's come from somewhere and that was a bad performance where they looked second best and yeah. at the time you were like well that's them looking second best to a team that's better than them but over the last two weeks you would have thought that Ulster are a better team than Scarlet's now so but is it's a, it's an Ulster with their Irish international well, yeah. it's a totally two different two completely team. different teams yeah. but that's exactly it so yeah. are we going to see for the rest of the season a good Ulster when they have their first 15 mm-hmm. and the Ulster from that first trip to Parky Scarlets when they don't have their f- first mm-hmm. 15 because look they're not going to have their first 15 I suppose they're probably not going to have their first 15 again until Ian Henderson comes April. Yeah. Yeah. you know because you're yeah. not going to yeah. see Henderson in an Ulster jersey unless he makes a comeback during the Six Nations well, and if you do you're not going to see him with the rest of the Irish internationals until really April. And we saw this before, you know, we talked about how, I suppose, how important it was in a negative way that Les Kiss was never able to pair, Les Kiss or John Gibbs were never able to pair Henderson and Kinsia together. And yeah. we've seen how effective it can be with them. But now, I suppose what we need to see, probably in the next couple of weeks, maybe that Connacht game in Galway, what we need to see is how Ulster look when they're shorn of those big players now. Well, this is the point that I'm trying to make. Someone has to step up in that pack mm. and be the driving force when Henderson and Best aren't there. I'm not saying they have to be Henderson or Best. I'm just saying they have to you know, stand up and say, right, lads, we, we have to do this. We have to keep the standards up. We have to, we have to keep doing what we've been doing. And that's, that's the big question for this Ulster team because as good as the last two weeks have been and they've been fantastic... You need to find ways to back that up. And you can't say, oh, well, we're short and short of Rory Bestney and Henderson, so of course there's going to be a drop-off. Do you think that, that, do you not think the quality's there to do that, though? I mean, like, should, surely... Should we just go into the weekly surely, donal here? Because we're, we're, essentially, we put, uh, <laughs> we're having the conversation that we're going to have for the weekly donal. Well, let's throw it in here and now. Donal, it says and asks, it's hard to know what was better, the defensive line or the attacking variety. Every team's capable of a big one-off performance, but 10 points from 10 shows real growth, or so I hope. Who do you think is our MVP, knowing that the Six Nations is just around the corner? For me, I'm going to go for two. Ah, uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> most valuable players. Well, one of them might not be, because one of them might be involved in the Six Nations, but... The leaders in that pack that have to maintain the standards once Best and Henderson aren't there for me is Rob Herring, who we know has a real leadership position in the squad, even though we don't see him in that first 15 when everyone's available. Mm. But he has that leadership role within the squad. Mm. And then Marcel, and I was interested in what Rory Best said about Marcel on um, Friday night, that he's somebody who leads not in what he says, but in what he does 
which is a different way than Rory Best would lead. Maybe similar to the way that Henderson would have would lead, only we've heard reports of Henderson being increasingly vocal. But whenever you talk to players, um, I think back to even a few years ago in Oyana, you know, it was the players afterwards about what sparked that turnaround being it was Rory Best got us together. You think back to post the Cardiff game last season that started that undefeated run, you know, what happened at oh well Rory got us together and we drew a line in the sand. Yeah. Somebody probably yeah. has to be that more vocal leader and it's very, very difficult because nobody else in the squad has that standing. Like um I think it's been talked about before the idea that where you sit in the in the changing room is <laughs> There's a hierarchy and it's worked yeah. out by Ulster Caps and Ireland Caps. Yeah. And now there are suspicions that Rory Best has devised this system himself to ensure that he has the best the best seat in the in the, <laughs> in the changing room. But the seat of in primary school and tried to pick seats and it was made sure it was beside the half girl. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't come across as creepy. <laughs> he was in primary school. Yeah, I don't, don't know whether that makes it better or worse. Um, but you know that the, the tally system that's used to uh, um, work out seniority within the squad Rory Best is far 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 away the most senior figure he's played for the Lions he's the only person from this province to ever hit 100 caps for Ireland he's played over 200 times for Ulster so he just has a standing that it's very difficult to replicate when he's not there yeah but even, even so, some, someone does need to stand up in his absence. Like, cause, and that, that's not an indictment on anybody within the squad at the moment. It's, it's not, a, and I think that's really important because sometimes I think it's it just comes heaven. across whenever, maybe to other people, in pre, you know, when you're asking about the impact of Rory Bass, I think that can maybe seem like it's denigrating Rob Herring or yeah, it's like talking who, down to... Or, they're, they're almost thinking that you're putting so much value on Rory that the other players yeah, don't yeah. matter which is not the case because ev- every team in the world has a player like that Leinster have Johnny Sexton if if they're without Johnny Sexton they are going to have some kind of a of a step down mm. you know that it's natural for every single team in the world even the All Blacks if they lost Bowden Barrett they'd have some kind of a step down so it's it's not an indictment on anyone within the Ulster squad that they need someone to stand up in Rory Best's absence because whenever you lose that person, there's obviously going to be a kind of, okay, right, so who do we turn to now? And that's where someone within that squad needs to step up, be it Rob Herring, be it Alan O'Connor, be it Marcel Katsia. Someone needs to step up and says, right, lads, follow me. And that that's something for them to work out. Yeah. I Like, Personally, I could speculate all day over who that could be, but well, I, it could I be it could be someone that we we don't even know has exceptional leadership qualities who suddenly stands up. I think you know, you're it could right. be more I of a personality thing than an experience. I think those three that Adam names are the ones that you would expect a good degree of leadership from. But yes, it is that personality thing of replicating what Rory Best, even just what Rory Best brings in training, and having him there and. I think it is quite difficult because, as Adam says, like any team in the world misses their guy when he's not there. But yeah. it is a matter of, and we really fudged the issue on picking one there, but um, I, th- <laughs> but, yeah. I think the, the way Marcel's playing at the minute, and I think 
whenever the Irish internationals aren't there, he is the guy. He's the best yeah. player in that pack, and it maybe puts a lot on him because he needs to be Johan Müller now, and that's maybe not something that's natural to him. When we look at the permutations then of um, what those results mean and ahead of the last two European games, Jonathan, you have a little piece on the website today which hasn't been pushed through social media but will be later on. It's almost like something else happened today. It's almost like something else happened in the world of sport and ruined my morning altogether. Uh, bloody Man United. Anyway, um, looking at your article, it's basically between... Ulster's pool and pool five for that final European spot in all likelihood or progression spot we reckon I think so you look at the back to backs and Ulster are obviously very aware of it happening to them but what happened with Gloucester and Exeter where they split um, especially having been you know Gloucester had the big away win then Exeter had the big away win and then Munster with a better side really over the course of 160 minutes against Cass, but only got the five points return. So that pool, we've seen it where they've all taken points off each other. And that, for me, you're really looking at that, thinking only one team's coming out of that. So then you look at pool five. And pool five probably didn't go the way that Ulster would have wanted it for them because there's two. it's become two-tiered now where there are two teams in contention. And that's what you mm-hmm. don't want from the other pool perspective because you want one team to pull away and the other team to have lost interest but Edinburgh and Montpellier are both in with a shout and Montpellier have picked up bonus points so Ulster probably you know you're looking at it and thinking one more win now I sort of made this mistake in the press conference on Friday of um, talking to Dan McFarland about a runner's up spot so we should note that Ulster can still win the pool. Yeah. Um, he was quite right to uh, correct me on my error there. Um, <laughs> Ulster can still win the pool. So we're not discounting that as a possibility while we talk about a best runner-up spot. But assuming that Ulster take five points, which would put them on 19, mm-hmm. the only way that they could then miss out would be if Montpellier and Edinburgh pull away. Which, so what 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 results are we looking for in that? Uh, well, you want five? you want Monster just to make absolutely sure things. You want Monster to win both games, and you want Exeter to um, then beat Cast, mm-hmm. yep. um, just to make sure of things in that pool. Leinster and Toulouse are both coming out of their pool. Glasgow and Saracens are both coming out of their pool. Mm-hmm. So then you have the straight fight between Ulster's pool and the Montpellier and pool. Yeah. I, th- I think it's it's uh, Edinburgh do play Montpellier yeah. in the final game. Yeah, yeah. Edinburgh can Edinburgh can get themselves into twenty points. I think. Yeah, Edinburgh go to two play, long. Yeah, go to two on and then at home to Mont- Montpellier. Yeah, so, so you you're you're wanting like you're wanting Edinburgh to win in Toulon and you're wanting Edinburgh to beat Montpellier. Yeah, but basically either, if, either Edinburgh win two or Edinburgh beat. Or Edinburgh get oh, sorry, Edinburgh lose to Toulon and then beat Montpellier. But yeah, okay. it's, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where yeah, basically if, I, if Edinburgh beat Montpellier, you're fine as long as Ulster win a game. So if my, yes. yeah, yeah. If, they, if they were to lose, so to unless Edinburgh, yeah. unless they get two bonus points in defeat, 
which would put them on 13, and then get five from their other game, which would put them on 18, and you could then lose out on points difference. Oh, yeah. At the, at the end of the day... But that's, that's, I mean, it's pretty unlikely to get two bonus points in defeat, so yes, yeah. that, that's what they want, yeah. and then to win one more game. At, at the end of the day, like, Ulster's destiny is in their own hands. Like, let's, yeah. let's not look past the possibility of two Ulster wins and not yeah. uh, we're we're looking we're looking again far in the distance. For all we know they'll go in Bess Katsia and Stuart McCloskey have all picked up injuries before <laughs> but look, less, Rass- not, but yeah. Look, <laughs> Le- Leicester are in possibly the worst run of form they've ever been on in their team's history. Yeah, I think um, I think it goes back to the seventies, but like when you have somebody like Jordy Murphy Jordan Jordan start saying Jordan Murphy. <laughs> Because people get confused. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you have somebody who's been there as long as Jordan Murphy's been there. Uh, I was wondering where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you have somebody who's been there as long as Jordan Murphy's been there, saying this is the worst it's ever been in his time, that shows you how bad it's what, eight games? Eight games, eight games in a row they've lost. And you had so many, it looked like so many fans were leaving that game mm-hmm. um, before the end. It's a strange game in a lot of ways because Racing had it in control for so long but it took them so long to get that yeah. bonus point it was weird but um, you can see Ulster winning in Welford Road see yeah, when you look at their fixtures that they have around it and you look at the Premiership table they could be in a relegation battle by the time we get if they're not already in a relegation yeah. battle yeah. they could be in a real relegation battle by the time that fixture rolls around there's no way they'd be putting any priority on Europe whatsoever yeah, even actually. even you know the whole pride thing we want to get a win at home mm-hmm. if if you're in a relegation battle in your own league you absolutely sacrifice your European game to to focus yeah. on your premiership game and that works perfectly in Ulster's favour but Racing's yeah. perfect Racing is a f- Really fascinatingly poised fixture as oh, well. It's going to be a stunning because game. they travel well. Mm-hmm. They put real emphasis on Europe. They're in a position at the minute to get somebody over for a quarter final in their strange spaceship of a stadium, <laughs> and that's what they want. They're not. I don't think that they're going to be looking at it thinking, well, even if we lose here and we beat Scarlets at home. We're going to be okay. I think they're going to be thinking about not just home quarter final, but home semi. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a look to see whether they could host a home semi or whether they have to move it somewhere else. Probably have to move it, but I th- no, I, I think they can. They well, it, it still has to be at a neutral venue. Yeah, just it's in the a, yeah, just yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so it would, it would be somewhere in somewhere in France, and I think that's what they would be. I think that's that'll be their target mm, rather yeah. than just saying. Well, we've got Scarlets at home. They've got nothing to play for. So if we hook them, even if we lose to Ulster, then we'll still be okay. As I say, they travel better. French teams still haven't, apart from Toulon. We've and <laughs> I almost blocked that Bordeaux game from my memory there, but um, we say we haven't seen French teams consistently come over here and win. Mm. Mm. Toulon, my last ones that were probably like favourites to win you could argue yeah. maybe La Rochelle and Claremont but those games were, I would say if you were to look at the bookies they're probably scratch games yeah. if anything whereas Racing I think might well come over here as favourites in the same way that Toulon did well I, th- I think they should because purely because of the fact that they don't travel like a typical French team they do travel well and you saw that the weekend where whenever it looked like they were up against it whenever Leicester took the lead 
let's just roar back and score three tries in what was it the space of 12 minutes or something mm-hmm. like incredible that's and I, I tweeted it out you know if that if Ulster didn't know already which I'm sure they absolutely do um, that is a massive warning that Racing are not a typical mm. French team when it comes to away games in Europe. Yeah. Let's talk about Ulster. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is there a game this week that we need to talk about? Is there a Racing podcast we could it's guest on? <laughs> Munster this weekend then. Uh, Friday evening, right here, Kingspan Stadium. What sort of Ulster team are we going to see? We're obviously going into the Interpro fixtures now. Um, we'll throw in Richard Porter's question uh, to this: How is it best to manage a busy Christmas period? Uh, do we keep key players fresh for what's still possibly an outside shot at European knockout phase, or how do we do that? He says it's a tough ask. It's going to be really interesting to look at the team selections, not just for this week, but for the week after that as well, because traditionally, and I don't know why it is, I've spoken about it before about putting your strongest team out at home whether that's linked into ticket sales or whether it's linked into maintaining proud home records or whatever but you almost hamstring yourself in a way by doing that because the way that Johan van Graan was talking um, yesterday as in Monday um, about his Irish internationals having been in that sort of traditional pre-Christmas camp. I think he had 12 players and it sounded an awful lot like they weren't going to play this week. So you might be getting a pretty weak monster team mm-hmm. coming up here. Now you don't want to disappoint your loyal home fan base by saying, especially guys that are only getting, I've got friends that are, this will be the one game that they get to because they're home for Christmas. Yeah. You know, they'll want to see Jacob Stockdale, they'll want to see Rory Best, whatever. But, then how you, it's it's because there's three derbies in a row now. It's yeah. very hard to manage, and I I don't like it. I don't like the way the fixtures are. I think you see too many weakened sides in derbies. But you could set yourself up by saying, is a slightly weakened Ulster team good enough to beat what looks like it's going to be a more weakened Munster team, and then give yourself a chance of going to Connacht. And Connacht have been very good. We haven't really talked about it on this podcast because. It was still very early days in the season when Ulster played them, but Connacht have been very good. And I think, you know, Ulster would reject the idea that they played a weakened side against Munster the last time, but we've seen what can happen and how bad the optics are of that. If I think it should be very much saying, oh, yeah, it was very weak. Just into it was the strongest that they had available, but yeah, they obviously had know, an awful lot yeah. of players unavailable, would be what Ulster would say. But it's just, how do you, if you're looking at three games, especially with two of them away, how do you maximise your chances of getting two wins? Because it's probably not playing your strongest team against Munster this week. That would be my thinking on it. One, one of the things that Joe Schmidt said when he was recently at a lunch at Balnehench was that apparently you get your full squad for two of the three games and in one of them you're restricted now that's probably not a hard and fast rule there's probably a lot of permutations around that and on different players so that you you can approach it sort of a few ways you can sort of intersperse your players sort of a mix and match for each game 
which you're going to do a variation of in some form, but you can sort of organize it in that you'll play so long this week, you'll play so long that week, and then you'll play so long this week, and you sort of spread everything out. Or you go full-blooded for one week, make 15 changes mm-hmm. for the next week, and then go full-blooded the next week, or sort of do a mix and match again. So it's Johnny's right. You have to try and find a way to maximize your return from these three games, whether that be two wins and a big loss or one win and two bonus point two and bonus point how losses. How do you see the best way of doing that? If you were Dan McFarland at this stage, what's the what's well, the for, tactic? For, for me I'd go all out this week at home because I think you've gotta you've gotta maximise your return at home. Um, whether that be a bonus point win over Munster, I'd take a win over Munster any day and walk away from that and be happy. Um and then I'd probably send something strongish down to Connacht, although they've won their last five games in a row, so that's not going to be an easy game there either. So then the question sort of raises its head, do you send something weak down to Connacht, except you're going to get nothing from there, and put the full team out against Leinster in preparation for going back into Europe, which is something mm-hmm. that we've seen a lot of teams do recently, you know, uh, or in, in previous years. So that. There's a lot of ways to approach this. Per- personally, I go all out if I could for the first two games. It's nearly uh, like a game of poker too, isn't it? Because you have this. Other teams are obviously making this as well, so you don't really know what you're going to be coming up against. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, very difficult, and it's more difficult, as I say, with the three derbies in a row, which I don't like. And it's more difficult again, obviously in a good way, because Ulster are giving themselves a real chance in Europe. So. You've had five big games in a row. You've got another five big games in a row. And now it's week to week to week to week. So we've like we saw last year where essentially, you know, they won one, lost two, but the Intercros this time last year were a horror show mm-hmm. for Ulster, you know. Forty four sixteen against Connaught and Galway. Oh and that looks better than it or it sounds better than it was because you <laughs> scored a late try. Yeah. No, um, that really was a humiliation. 38-7 to Leinster in the RDS. Again, only by the virtue of scoring a late try, so you didn't get nilled. And you need to avoid something that sort of creates that damaging effect that mm. personally, and I'm not speaking for anyone, I'm just saying personally that I think Ulster suffered from last year because the Interpros sapped anything, mm-hmm. any momentum that they had from those back-to-backs over Harlequins. Now, I know they went on to beat La Rochelle, but then they were so flat against Wasps, strangely flat against Bad. Wasps, yeah. that yeah, the way that it goes, obviously Edinburgh are going to be playing Glasgow twice, but they've also got Kings at home. So Scarlets have three derbies in a row as well, but two of them are at home. Um, Treviso will play or Bellin will play Zebra and then am I right one of the Italian or one of the South Africans after that is that right I don't know I haven't looked at Treviso's neither have I (laughs) but by far you have the toughest fixtures now I know Glasgow are good so playing Glasgow twice isn't easy but you get the Kings at home after that so of the teams that are around you you have the toughest run of this and people will be distracted by Christmas, people will be distracted by Europe, but what you don't want is coming in now, 
level on points with Scarlet's joint second, if you like, in the conference. You don't want to be coming in back into this in three weeks or even coming back at the end of January after the year of being like, well, how did we end up 10 points behind everybody yeah. else? You yeah. know? It's an important part of the season, even though you'll be seeing heavily rotated teams and even though it can kind of get lost in the shuffle a bit with Christmas in Europe. But How heavily rotated do you think the team is going to be this week? I mean, we've had the press conference already, have we? Can you gauge much or what's the thoughts? Well, I think Ian Henderson would have played yeah. if he was able to. Um, we which, saw, which probably says a lot about about what, what they're kind going of to do. They're going yeah. to do. Um, so yeah. I think I think it'll be strong. And it, I, I, well, after those two Scarlet games, you know that's taken a lot out of guys. You're you're going to see some form of rotation. Like Eric O'Sullivan put in, I think it's 144 combined minutes out of 160. You cannot ask him to start again against Munster, who are a renowned big scrummaging team you surely can't ask them to do that I think they would have liked to be away this week home in the middle and away the week yeah. after um, so yeah so you'll probably see some changes Ian Nagel it sounds like is going to come back in against his former team which is a nice subplot yeah. um, I think yeah, like yeah. Alan O'Connor's still a few weeks away so yeah. with Handy out Matty Ray doing his thumb as well you really need Ian Neal to come yeah, back in. Like yeah, I know exactly. Matty Dalton's played for Malone, but he's been out a long, long while as well, mm-hmm. having just got one game of club rugby under his yeah. belt now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you could really do with Ian Neal coming back. But it, it is, it's a fine balancing act between how much the last two weeks took out of the players that played, because it's been interesting how much faith um, Dan McFarland's been willing to put into a small group relatively small group of players like we talk, me and Adam were talking about it earlier look at the numbers here um, you know you started with a 41 man squad this year you added Ian Nagel to it but you're losing Spate you've already lost Diesel Rodney IE Pete Brown Chris Henry and somebody else here I forgot Scott van der Merwe um, so that's you really down to sort of 36 players plus your your academy guys which and we've seen the amount of faith put in Kieran Treadwell playing in every game. We've seen the amount of faith put in Eric O'Sullivan playing every game. And those guys seem to have flourished under that. But it's a fine balance, I think, between making sure that they still have something left. So this week, to me, would have been an ideal time to give players a rest. But it's just, I suppose, the optics of putting out a heavily rotated team at home is something that we always see teams relatively loath to do mm. it would seem I think Munster will be a lot happier with their schedule especially after that cast mm-hmm. game last week that was a brutal game for them it was so physically demanding so uh, it just took so much out of them and to have their away game first they can say you know right let's give these guys a week off get ready for Leinster at home which is always a massive game on Boxing Day or St Stephen's Day as they like to call it so <laughs> as the rest of the world as the rest of the world calls it yeah maybe. Um, but yeah the, I, I think they'll be happier to sort of do the rest this week bring guys back for Leinster and then maybe do the half and half for uh, the week after that let's uh, move on a little bit then to player contract an interesting piece that is going on the website, if it's not already out by the time I publish this. Um, Adam, you've had a little look as to the whole ream of players that are out of contract in Ulster and whether or not, or who they should hold on to. 
Yeah, it's quite a tough one because there are some players that um, Ulster haven't announced the length of the contract, so there there's a whole list of potential decisions that Ulster actually might not have to make, but I've included them anyway, just to be sure. But yeah, I've just taken a look at all of the different contracts, all the guys who are out of contract at the end of the season, and taking a look at who they should keep and who they shouldn't keep, the likes of Rory Best, Darren Cave, Marcel Katzia, Vian Herbst, Alan O'Connor, some some of the big ones that mm-hmm. they're having to decide on, and there are a few interesting calls well, who are the, from myself. Who, who, who are you tipping to be the headline departures? Everyone. <laughs> you know that uh, yeah. you know that episode of The Simpsons where Homer takes over the uh, football team with the NFC? You're cut. You're cut. You cut. Oh, you're so cut. <laughs> um yeah, so there are a lot more cuts than there are keeps. Um, the biggest one is Marcel. And <gasps> I was aghast. I fell off my chair in the office <laughs> yesterday. Look, I'm still of the opinion that while he has been absolutely outstanding, you've got... I can't wait to see what Donald says about that. <laughs> you've got three players in the, that back row who right now are playing a very similar role in Jordy, Marcel and Sean Reedy. And in my opinion, you need to replace one of them with a big ball carrying back row. I gen I genuinely think that the back row has looked very well balanced. Um, I know I know you don't, and I know we had this discussion last week, so we weren't having yeah, it again. But um, I think the way that it, they've been set up the last couple of weeks, especially with the energy that uh, Nick Timoney brings, and so it's just the pace. You know, it's probably overblown how much we talk about it but the fastest t- forward in Ireland yeah the, the, p- the pace that Nick Timoney brings to the game um, I think that they look pretty well balanced and I think if they could be that well balanced again next year maybe with an, another addition like um, you know there's they have had two NIQ back rows in the past there's nothing to say that they couldn't well I say there's nothing to say but we don't know what they are if you would say or what the um accounts manager would say but there's nothing to say that they couldn't bolster that back row with another player given how much time Jordi will miss in a World Cup year well, it's, in- it's interesting you mentioned the accounts manager because one of the big things that you have to weigh up with Marcel as well is the fact that he's on quite big money and for a guy who's done his ACL twice and is only playing you know, one year of a three year contract with Ulster do you take the risk by signing him back on that big money again, knowing that there is the potential he could maybe injure himself again, or w- would he be willing to take a pay cut? If he's willing to take a pay cut, then this decision becomes completely different. And honestly, I would then maybe lean towards keeping him. But if it, if you're talking about re-signing him for the same money, I would say you're better off looking for someone post-World Cup who would provide a bit more of an oomph whenever he carries the ball, in my opinion. Before I, we just go back over that old yeah. debate again, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> just just how much oomph that I think Marcel is providing. But I think no, 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 part, no, part of the decision, no, no. part of the no. decision, a different part of the decision oh, right. for him is why, <laughs> he's obviously going to have to be involved in this, and it's whether he wants to really pursue... Now, I know Razi Rasmus has relaxed the rules, but it's really about how where his commitment is whether it's to playing his rugby here or whether he thinks he'd have a better shot at 
getting more Springbok caps if he went home. Mm-hmm. There were another headline and Darren Cave potential uh, cut. Yeah, I I said I thought they should cut him because look he he's been so good for Ulster for so many years, but we've seen him this year struggling with injury. Um and the fact that he's also been uh, passed by James Hume in sort of the pecking order in recent weeks sort of suggests that Ulster are looking at other avenues in terms of people playing 13. Even the fact that Will Addison has come back in and instead of going back to fullback, he's gone to 13 as well. So there seems to be a lack of game time there for Kiev. Now, he would provide a lot of experience in a young squad, and I think that's a big part of it which is why this decision is going to be a really tough one for Ulster to make. Um, but for me, you know, you're weighing up whether the experience is worth keeping him around and keeping him on, uh, you know, keeping him on the payroll as opposed to, you know, giving, giving young guys a chance. You know, it's basically experience versus is he just taking up money for the sake of being in the squad? I think... That's certainly going to be a, diff- a difficult, and I say difficult because the one-year contract in the past has been a death knell, really, mm. because guys that we've seen a one-year contract haven't then got a contract after that, and even in some cases when we thought they would or we thought they were deserving of it. But I think Cave, like what Cave brings to the squad, and he's such a good squad guy, I think, mm. and he has that wealth of experience. He's still a good player, you know. We've seen that when he's played. The thumb, I suppose, was an impact injury. You know, you can't. I, w- I wouldn't say that's injury prone if something happens. Like no, you sorry, I, w- thumb. I wasn't trying oh, to no, make right, a point. I, he's no, injury no, prone. No, I was I'm just saying. Mind injured thumbs about the place. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to start wearing protective gloves or something. But I do think there's a danger of one having too small a squad. Mm. <laughs> and we, we spoke about this before we started the podcast. That I think there'd be about thirty players left if. Um, all these players, all these players did leave, and I think, especially with the amount of experience that's been lost, and it's it's hard to know because you know it's hard to know who's bringing exactly what, but you get the feeling that Cave would probably be one of those guys that's good to have around as an experienced mm. hand, and we we hardly Ludic talk today about how much Cave brings in meetings and things, just with his. Um, how much he's able to spot on the videos about defensive alignments and things like that and how clever he is about the game and stuff. But um, I suppose that will be interest- an interesting one to see purely on the back of him getting a one-year contract mm. last year. My last headline of this then, um, my favourite player until we uncovered his Ball and Hinge connections, um, Johnny McPhillips, unsure. He's the only one I put down as unsure and a lot of this is dependent on where do Ulster see Mike Larry developing because... Yeah. Billy Burns at some point is going to need a rest. You know, he, he can't play every single week as much as I'm sure he he wants to and will probably claim he could. He, he's going to need to take a week off at some point. So it'll be very interesting to see if at some point Ulster start to turn to Lowry at 10 or if they stick with Johnny McPhillips at 10. If they're happy to stick with McPhillips and let Lowry continue to develop at fullback, then I think, yeah, you do keep him. Um, if you turn to Lowry instead of McPhillips, suddenly that's a shift in the pecking order. And for him especially, I'm, I'm sure Ulster would love to keep him around as you know depth at 10, um, as would I. But 
in terms of what he wants, he'll probably be wanting to play a lot more rugby, so he'd be better served going mm-hmm. elsewhere. You do um, need three tens, though. So you know, if you, you have Mike Laurie and Billy Burns, then I mean, who's next in line? Would that be Bruce, Bruce Houston. Houston? I mean, I know we've seen him play a fair amount of fullback, but I suppose he would probably slot back into ten as the third choice. But I like McPhillips, and I like what he's done in an Ulster jersey. But I agree with you that it's. Um, one of the things that we've talked about is how little minutes he's got this mm-hmm. year and whether that's instructive of um, something because it doesn't seem to us anyway and that's obviously open to interpretation as, as well but it doesn't seem to us watching the games like he hasn't earned a bit more a yeah. bit more trust than he's had over the last near enough a year now I suppose because it was it was in the interpose last year that we saw him come on off the bench and make a big impact mm. and then he started the wake of games after Leo Leofano left and to me he's looked good when he's played this year as well but as you say it's just how much rugby the co- the question is about how much rugby he's gotten I suppose yeah. is what the, I'm trying to say I should stress that um, Johnny McPhillips is a potential out of contract we, he's one of those oh, okay. ones that we don't know the length of his contract but yeah of all the decisions that are being made he's probably the one where there's um, the most doubt over whether he'd want to stay yeah. as opposed to Ulster wanting him to stay because I, I I think Ulster would probably be very happy for him to stay but it's just whether he'd be happy continuing with this amount of game time or waiting for an opportunity um, we've thrown in a few listener questions. Well, just uh, you can have a little read at the rest of those players on the website. Um, just keep a little eye out for mm. that on what day is today? Tuesday, Tuesday. Wednesday, on Wednesday. That live. Um, our last six, listener question. Six days before Christmas, and we're Adams. She's taking jobs off people. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jose Mourinho's just lost his yeah. job. A few other people. You and Edward were cut from the same cloth. Um, <laughs> Tough Christmas here in the Mourinho family. Too. <laughs> on a twenty million payoff. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. Um, in our final listener question, Stephen McCormick threw up the topic once again of attendances, a big talking point of the weekend. Yeah, well, it was interesting to see um, as much as it was a great week for Ulster, it was interesting to see the amount of media outlets that probably aren't here every week flag the attendance and the reports of the games mm. and just the fact that I mean, what do we have the official attendance as here? Um, 12,124. Yeah. Now, I think that obviously when you're comparing it to last year's attendances, you know, for Leicester it was 13,152 for that first first European game. For Quinns it was 15,646. So you're talking about near enough a three and a half thousand drop for the same game in the sequence so it's no surprise really that this is sort of being talked about and we talked about it a few weeks ago and just in terms of Stephen's question about the impact that a thousand people per home game can make you're talking about a couple of players contracts um, and how that affects the budget obviously I think pretty clear that with the amount of money being paid to people who aren't here anymore that the budget has had to change significantly over the last couple of years lowering attendance figures isn't going to help that the extra money that you've got from a tv deal could essentially be wiped out and then some by what you're bringing in through the gates with ticket sales but 
It's a tough one, I think, especially to sort of postulate about why this may be, because there's so many different reasons why this could be. I mean, you compare this season's first game to last season's first game. You know, Cheetahs last year for the first game of the season was 14,500 people. First game this year was under 12,000 people. That's a significant drop. Mm. And this year's fixture was a better fixture than... I suppose you had the, yeah, the, there was yeah, a novelty yeah, the in the Cheetahs. Of, yeah. the and Cheetahs, I suppose the fact that Ulster were going to play Scarlets four times before uh, <laughs> December. But And look, there's a whole host of other things. You had two home games in six days to start the season. Then mm-hmm. you were away for a month and then you had two home games in eight days, which were the Connacht game and the Leicester game. So like Connacht this year was 13,000. Connacht last year in the equivalent game was 14 and a bit. So that's a significant enough drop as well. You know, Leicester this year, 13,000 and a bit. Wasps last year, 15,000 and a bit in the equivalent game. So the scheduling hasn't helped with Mm -hmm. home games because they've been bunched together an awful lot. We're seeing it again this week with two home games in eight days. I don't think that helps anyone to have them... Mm. Um, congested like that in terms of selling the fixtures there'll be the question about the BBC and Premier Sports and whether Ulster are out of mind out of sight, out of mind and whether that's affecting ticket sales You are go- there's no point beating around the bush there are people who will not be here this year who were here last year because of the off-field events of last year whether that be how it was handled in the end whether that was the fallout um, throughout no matter what side of the fence people were on and whether those players should have been here this year or not there will be people who have maybe walked away because of that and then even just you know the star power if you like you know Tommy Bowe's gone Pietai's gone Trimble's gone Rui and Pinar in a longer sense is gone you know these are guys that well, have sold tickets. It's not to be disparaging towards the players that are still here, but they're just they're not of the same profile. Attendances are probably dwindling year on year as part of what was a successful team. It's interesting to me that we didn't see more people here on Friday night off the back of last week's mm. impressive yeah. performance that, away. That's the first time. That's the big thing. Attendance for me. has really been interesting for me this season. Yeah. Before I sort of been like. Yeah, the there were, not good, there were so many mitigating fine, factors. But this week, the expectation was yeah. there. They expected yeah. the win. The players were there. Rory Best was there. Stockdale was there. Henderson there. The big players were all playing. So, I yeah. Think, yeah. And it's not, for me, it not being on BBC in a lot of ways should be a benefit in terms of attendances. I know you didn't especially, like Especially in the short but term. Donovan Coleraine was on BBC on Friday night and the attendance was shocking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, uh, like, my uncle's a massive Donovan fan. He was like, definitely because it was on BBC. He's yeah. like, There's, if that match hadn't been on BBC, 100%, there would have been a lot more fans there. See, I think certainly in the that short term, the that would be what I would have expected. Maybe you could, you could make the argument that you lose the next generation of fans because they don't have that exposure to it. But I wouldn't have thought it would be in the short term. Yeah. Now, you can make that out of sight, out of mind thing for the sort of floating voters if you like because the difference that we've seen there is a decrease in season ticket holders but the difference that we've seen in average attendance is far more it's it's far more than just losing a number of hundred season ticket holders but you know for me it was disappointing that more people didn't come 
on Friday night because th- whenever we've talked about attendances in the past in this podcast, I've said people want to go and watch a winning team. And people didn't expect this team to be a winning team. Off the back of such an impressive... You know, the day after that Scarlet's game, over a 1,000 people turned up to see Primark be opened. <laughs> you know, and then... I think you're talking about two very different audiences there, Johnny. <laughs> In the spirit of Ellis Gange uh, and the interview he gave this week, I will not have that, Adam. <laughs> that was a great interview, by the way. Not to be sidetracked, but that was a brilliant interview. It's cracking. Yeah, um, your man that does those interviews is, is great, going out to their houses. They're all very, very good. But as, yes, as you say, not to be sidetracked. I mean, 15,946 the last time Ulster played Scarlet's here. So that sort of blows the old, well, it was Pro 14 opposition out the window as well. Um, it's strange. I, I thought the attendance on, on Friday was strange. I understand mm. that they're playing Munster this week yeah. and people may have picked one or the other. But it was always my yeah. opinion in the preceding weeks that as much as we talk about the various other factors, that the biggest one was people just didn't expect this team to be competitive. Mm. And off the back of that, we're seeing that they are competitive in Europe. And a number of people on Friday night, a number of journalists who were up who wouldn't be here week on week, made reference, both in reports and just in conversations with us while we were here, about how empty the place looked. Mm -hmm. And now we should also add that it was the third highest attendance of the weekend. Leinster was obviously the biggest. Toulouse beat them by a couple of thousand, but Ulster still pulled more than... um, Everybody else in the Champions Cup. Now, we didn't have an official attendance from Leicester, and you can make the argument that Munster were away, were away and they mm. pulled in an awful lot more. Not a sellout by any means, but pulled in what would have been a sellout here the week before against Cast. Yeah. Do I, we know I, I, attendance like, is down in general at other teams? I know it's putting you on the spot because you've already done a lot of research. I'll get back to your question in a second. One thing I'd like to know is where do Ulster sort of rank in the percentage of how full their stadium was because it's easy to say that you know Ulster brought in the third highest attendance of the weekend but you know that's because they have an 18,000 stadium to fill you know I I don't know the size of other teams stadiums but you know Ulster are only filling that stadium about 70% full 75% full you know so you know what? What's that like compared to other teams in terms of? Well, I mean, Scarlets. We we were both at Scarlets before, and that was half full. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but that doesn't help your budget. You know, you can't go to the bank manager and say, "Well, we're pulling in more than Scarlets." <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the bottom line is sold a hundred million pound loan. <laughs> yeah, the, the bottom line is the less people see the turnstiles, the more it hurts your yeah. financial projections. Yeah. And it is interesting, and as Gareth sort of said there, for me it was most interesting in light of what we saw this mm. week rather than sitting and speculating about various reasons that it could be and they probably all play a factor, they probably yeah. all take away a couple hundred of people but for me the biggest one was always the fact that people didn't expect this side to be pushing for knockout rugby and I thought that we would have seen a big bump for that Scarlet's game Christmas party season as well it was freezing I was going to say it was a shocking (laughs) night day it was like a really bad night day it was very cool so that maybe didn't help but anyway if you weren't at the game but you do listen to the podcast do let us know why you weren't there um, and if there are any sort of um, big reasons for it or were you just out at your work party Um, 
also follow us on Twitter to let us know. Uh, <laughs> just um, yeah, let us know at, at your roundup on Twitter, and then just hit the wee follow button while you're there. You may as well give us a little review on the podcast just while you're on social media. As long you as, as it's well, good. Just, as long as it's good. <laughs> it's bad when want. No, no, no. We accept all. <laughs> Not, not on iTunes, we don't. <laughs> we need the positive algorithms. Oh, that's right. Yeah, if, you, yeah. if you do give us a negative review, you will get named and shamed on the podcast the next week. And we'll call it out on. Oh, really. Uh, club Roundup. Club Roundup, yeah. Final weekend of club rugby before they uh, go off for the Christmas break. So we start in the All-Ireland League with Division 1B, where City of Armagh are up to second in the table. They're actually tied on points with first place St Mary's after they defeated Bambridge 15-14 in their Ulster Derby at Rifle Park. Bambridge are now all the way down in 7th, but are only 4 points behind the top 2. So well. <laughs> it's, a, it's a ridiculously yeah. congested uh, leaderboard in Division 1B. It's insane. Um, Balnehinch are up to 4th and tied on points with 3rd place Malone, after they defeated the Craig Red Sox 11-7 in another Ulster Derby at Ballamacarn Park. Meanwhile, Ballamina are off bottom spot after defeating Buccaneers 27-22. And as I said, it's a rather congested leaderboard. They're amazingly only seven points off top spot in ninth. It's been like a stark turnaround for Ballamina yeah. recently because yeah. they could not win a game at the start of the season. It, so. it went from thinking they might not win a game all season to promotion is not out of the uh, <laughs> out of the running here uh, moving down into division 2A Queens are now without a win in 4 after they were defeated 13-10 away at Dolphin and are now 21 points adrift of leaders Highfield in 5th division 2B Rainey's bonus point 29-0 win over Ulster rivals Dungannon keeps them 3rd in the table and 10 points behind the top 2 of Greystones and MU Barnhall while Gannon fall to bottom spot with the defeat Meanwhile, Belfast Harlequins have slipped to ninth after they were defeated 24-14 at Sligo. And in Division 2C, Oma continued their push towards the top of the table with a 19-13 win at Bangor. That keeps the Ackies fourth, eight points behind leaders Ballina. Uh, Bangor are down to 6th and 15 points adrift and City of Derry are down in 8th after they were beaten 26-7 by Ballina at home. Moving on to the Women's All-Ireland League, Cook finished the year on a disappointing note as they lost 7-0 joint leaders Railway Union, meaning they go into 2019 in 5th. 14 points adrift of Railway and UL Bohemian. And in schools rugby, the first round of the Danske Bank Schools Cup was last week. Strabane Academy and Carrick Grammar will take their places in the second round after they overcame Wellington College and Antrim Grammar respectively. As I said, the clubs are now on their winter break, so they will return, I think it's the third weekend in January. No winter break for us, though. We will be back. Exactly, (laughs) yes. we We have a Christmas podcast recording Christmas special that will just be a sort of a normal podcast but at Christmas so that makes it special <laughs> um, you better have eggnog ready for us Johnny yeah we're doing it at John's house so it's sort of like a it's Christmas party except be like like 10 we're just working so it's not, not that fun yeah. I still want Saturday morning at 10 o'clock yeah. uh, I'll look into it <laughs> yeah. so keep we out next weekend um, uh, we're recording the podcast at 10 o'clock on Saturday do get your questions in before then I thought um, it was half ten, so it's a good job. It's absolutely ten o'clock. It's definitely ten o'clock. I have um, fe- thank you. <laughs> I have festive plans at twelve. So <laughs> I have work the rest of the day. Um, so keep a little eye out. Just it'll be up as soon as I can edit it in that time, and I have other things to do. So be patient. But for now, from Adam McAndrew. Cheers, guys. From Jonathan Bradley. Thanks so much. From our new frontman Michael Lowry <laughs> and myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening. <laughs>